Our scripture reading for this afternoon comes to us from Galatians chapter 5. Our text will be 1 Peter 2 again, but scripture reading is Galatians 5, uh, verses 16 to the end. Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit... Let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. And also, we'll turn to 1 Peter, in chapter 2, and read just the verses 11 and 12. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. This far the reading of God's a holy word. Dear congregation, Christians are called to praise God. That's what we considered last week as well, where Peter calls us to proclaim the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. But really, God has created everyone to praise Him. Even those who now who live in unbelief have been created and are called to praise God. And one day, the day will come when they will glorify God. A day when, when either their unbelief will be taken away when the Lord works in their hearts with their spirit and saves them and turns them to glorify God. Or when on the day of judgment they stand before God and realize that He is God and they must glorify Him, but then in terror and under His judgment. God will be glorified in, the, in His justice upon the wicked, as well as by the salvation of His people. And God uses 
even to circumstances in your life, the life of His people, uh, to bring glory to His own name, whether that's in your own life or whether that's in the life of those around you, the unbelievers around you. We can read again verse 12 where it says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. And what does that tell us? That, what does that require of us? Honorable conduct. Peter has been speaking largely in the first chapter about, about our holy life, becoming holy because God is holy. And here he says, having your, honor, your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. And so in this section here, Peter actually begins a new section here with verse 11. He's the first part of chapter 1 and up to the first half of chapter 2. He's been dealing with, with holiness that we considered in a number of, of different sermons, uh, themed the holiness of Christians, holy Christians, and reverent Christians, and, and loving Christians, and, and growing as Christians, and being built up as Christians, and, and praising the Christians as we've seen in these last weeks. But here he, he now switches his theme, you could say, to submission, submission to authority. And you'll see in the following chapters how in different, different places of our life, he, he shows how Christians must submit to authority. But that submission always begins with submission to the authority of God. And that's what we really focus on here in these verses 11 and 12, that our honorable conduct is submitting to God's will, to live according to His will. And we can see how that is needed because in verse 12, that honorable conduct of His people is even used to glorify God, not in, only in your own life, but also will be used uh, to glorify God through the life of even unbelievers in the day of visitation. And so our theme this afternoon is I have submitting to the will of God. Submitting to the will of God. And you'll notice in your bulletin I was overzealous with two points there. And I only got, or there's, there's too much material under one point, so we'll only discuss the first one. So you can say the first point there is our subtitle, an urgent appeal to abstain from fleshly lusts. Submitting to the will of God, and first an urgent appeal to abstain from fleshly lusts. And so the first point tonight is we must abstain from fleshly lust because this world is not your home. This world is not your home. Peter says there in verse 11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. Notice he, he, he again addresses him here as beloved, as the loved of God, chosen from eternity, the special people of God. And he says, therefore, because you are God's own special people, I beg you, I urge you to live as children of God, whose citizenship is in heaven and not on earth, and therefore live here on earth as pilgrims, as strangers on earth. And he goes on to explain what that, that means. Because by the new birth, by the work of the Spirit of your heart, you're born again, you become a citizen of heaven, and that means you're now foreigners on this earth. You're 
You're living in another country because you're only passing through this one. A traveling life can be difficult, especially for children. Children need that security. They need, they need that permanence and safety in their life. They need the presence of a father and a mother who, who is there to protect them and to provide for them and to teach them and to lead them. And when there's uncertainty about where they'll be living or what they'll eat, children often become anxious and fearful. You can, you can see it in their behavior. And when they lack that security, they cling closer to their parents. They, they, they need that security, so they go to the only place to know where, they know where to find it. And as we travel through this life, we need that physical stability as well, in a sense, but the Christian life is often so filled with, with dangers and insecurities, and yet God, who says He's our Father in heaven, He promises to provide for all those needs, just like He provides for the birds of the air. And it's in those times especially where this word beloved can be of such comfort and encouragement to you, especially you think of the persecuted believers again who Peter was talking to here. We need that affirmation, and it, it makes us cling closer to the Lord when we have these insecurities in our life. And you need to hear God affirming this to your life. You're a chosen generation. You're His own special people to know that He cares for us. If you've ever visited a foreign country, you know very quickly that you are the outsider, that you're the foreigner. Everything around you reminds you that you don't belong there, that, that, that it's not your home. The clothing, the food, the language, the roads, the houses, the farming techniques, the, the food markets, everything is different. And you cannot even go out and buy a cup of coffee like you might be used to here. You can't just drop into a friend's house and have this conversation that, that you have a mutual understanding with each other and about your culture and your, what you have in common, because you're the foreigner. You're the outsider. But, for example, if you're in Mexico and you meet another Canadian, you can sit down and you can talk with one another freely. Or if you're in Africa, you can meet another Dutchman and you can sit, you can, you can relate with one another, you have commonalities, and it feels like a little piece of home in a foreign country. But have you ever felt like a foreigner here as a Canadian in Canada? You feel like a foreigner because you've not been able to, to talk with anybody about those deepest thoughts in your hearts. There's those questions of the soul, those unexplainable desires for God in your heart. Or there's those burdens of sin that, that no one else seems to understand. There's a longing to know God and there's that deep gratitude or overflowing thankfulness for His mercy that He's shown to you in your life. And it seems like no one understands. You feel like a foreigner until one day you meet even a stranger and you can sit and you can talk the language of your heart. You speak in the way that the Lord has worked in each of your lives. You can share your burdens and cares. And you long for the same God, and you rest in the same hope. In this foreign land, you find someone from your own country, the heavenly country, 
because your citizenship is not of this world, but of the one to come. And then you feel something like Abraham did in, in Hebrews 11, where it says, By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country. For he waited for the city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they have desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Are you a stranger here below? A sojourner and a pilgrim in this world? That brings us to our second thought. It's because this is no longer your life. Abstain from fleshly lusts because this is no longer your life. Everyone has the opportunity to return to that old country of sin, like it said here in Hebrews, to go back and to make yourself at home here in this world again, where, where, where living in this world or the ways of sin is most comfortable to you, to, to find your everything and you're all here in this world, just to go back. You have the opportunity. You can leave this all and, and go back and find everything that this world is promoting as, as the everything now. But why, why can't you go back? See, when Israel was in, in the wilderness in Egypt, they often complained. They wanted to go back to Egypt because they, they thought about the good food that they had in Egypt. They remembered something of the stability that they had. At least they had daily work or something to do. They had daily food. But they seemed to forget that they were in bondage. And how often is it that even God's people look back on their old life and they can still be tempted with the pleasures of the flesh that this world has to offer. They're tempted by the love of money, tempted to focus excessively on the wealth or the entertainment that this world offers. It's like the rich man who, who was enjoying all his pleasures while Lazarus was on his doorstep begging. Maybe you're tempted to covet what other people have but you don't consider the bondage to your soul. Because God says you'll give the desires of your heart, but bring leanness to your soul. Or how often is the eye of the believer tempted to look merely at the outward beauty of the flesh, to be tempted to crave the desires like David did with Bathsheba. But you don't realize the torment and the bondage of the soul that it brings. And so here, Peter, he, he, he pleads with the believers. He realizes that, that temptations are strong. He realizes they're being persecuted. They're being driven from country to country. They don't have that stability. They don't even have the guarantee of, of a harvest or, or the food from day to day. Many of them even lack the necessities that they need. But he says, don't seek for it in the fleshly lusts. He says, I beg you, I encourage you, abstain from fleshly lusts. That abstain simply means to refrain from doing to recognize what it is, to resist it and run from it. Well, Peter is not calling us to live as monks or to be entirely separated from the entire world because we, we are part of the world. We are an active part in the workings of this world, but we must abstain from the sinful desires that are in it, the fleshly lusts, he calls them. 
And so really he's, he's, he's telling us, instead of looking at this world to see what we can be fulfilled with, he says, take a look inside and, and see where this stems from. See what it is, that, where it originates and what it really is. And that's our third thought. They're the works of darkness. Abstain from fleshly lusts because they are the works of darkness. He says abstain from fleshly lusts. They're the, they're the cravings, they're the desires for fleshly comfort, for, for gratification in a sinful way. Do we have both good and evil desires, both natural and unnatural desires? And Peter's warning here against the sinful desires. Jesus says these desires come out of our hearts. In Matthew 15, out of the heart flows evil thoughts, the murders, the adulteries, the fornication, the theft, the false witness. And so he's saying, examine our hearts, see See where they're coming from. As James says, everyone is tempted when he's drawn by his own desires and he's enticed by them. And so Paul, Paul says, what, what fellowship does light have with darkness? How, how can darkness and light coexist together? The one drives the other out. And, and so he says, you once were darkness, but now you're children of light and therefore walk as children of light. So how can we discern the difference? Well, sin always is selfish. Sin always seeks its own glory. Our, our fleshly lusts always seek our own glory, our own gratification, and never seek the glory of God or the benefit of the other. And so by submitting to God's will is what the overall theme is, is to seek God's glory and honor instead of our own. Do we have that in mind when we, when we think of what we want in this world? In our fallen paradise, our will and our desires and our affections have become corrupt and depraved. Instead of desiring to follow God's will and to submit to Him, we, we want to follow our own desires. We see that in our children. That's why there's always the argument between the ch children and the, and the parents. The children want to go their own way instead of what their parents are saying. We have that same between us and God until the Lord turns our hearts to follow Him. A natural heart doesn't want to submit to God. And that old nature, all God's people must fight against all their life long. That bending away from God. And so the Bible tells us more of what we must abstain from. First Thessalonians 5 verse 22 says, abstain from every form of evil. And by evil there means all immoral behavior, anything that is contrary to the moral law of God. Abstain from anything that is contrary to God's law and will. First Thessalonians 4 verse 3 says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel or body in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. And we read in Galatians 5 that whole list of the works of the flesh. Peter, or Paul, listed a number of different things, and he says such and, and, the, and the like. So there's many more. This is just a sampling of them. The adulteries and the, the, the hatred and contention, the jealousies, the, the, the wrath that comes out, the anger, the selfish ambitions especially, the envy, murder, 
So often they, they offer either a temporary relief, either to, to give us the rest that we're craving or the satisfaction, but, it, but it's warring against our soul, he says. The body, our bodies crave rest. Our bodies crave a pleasure. It craves affection from others. But how do we obtain them? And to what, expen- at what expense? So often you can see that we, we react with like a sinful outburst of anger because in the moment it seems to be the answer, the solution, and yet it is sin. Our sinful lust can include sending or, or receiving inappropriate pictures on your phone or computer. It, it, you're looking at it to try to fulfill a desire or a lust or to desire uh, affirmation from pictures. Sometimes people send photos just to see how many people react to it, and often they're pressured to do immoral things. So it craves recognition and attention for others. These are sinful desires. They want to be liked, and there's proper ways to to have proper affection and communion with people. James says, then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full-grown, brings forth death. And that brings us to the last point. It's a war for your soul. Abstain from fleshly lusts because it is a war for your eternal soul. Peter says, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. This is a spiritual warfare. And yes, sin brings many obvious physical uh, and, and lifelong consequences as well. You can, you can think of adultery and the broken marriages and, and the hurt children that are caught in between. You can think of the damage that drug abuse causes uh, to the mind and body. How do people struggle with, with lifelong cravings and desires and triggers that, that cause them to, to, to relapse? You can think of computers and, and cell, cell phones, the, the, the screen time that causes the, the brains to to develop differently in young people. You can think of the addictive behaviors that are produced by, by people who watch or children who watch pornography or, or video games. And these all have life-altering and lifelong effects on people. There's many consequences, but and you can even have generational consequences, but Peter is pointing out something a lot much greater here, something much worse. He says this is a war on your soul. And that will have eternal consequences. He will say in chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And Satan is so good at his game that even makes you upset when someone confronts your sin. You become angry or offended even if they suggest that you might be following fleshly lusts. And it makes you defend the very desire of your heart that is carrying your soul to hell. He wants you to walk blindly onward to your own destruction and to resist anyone who might tell you that you're going the wrong way. This is a war for your soul. And what's the purpose of war? Why is Russia fighting with Ukraine? This is not just an Olympic 
a wrestling match, but this is to gain control, to destroy the power of Ukraine and take over the country. And so why do, do lusts war against your soul? This is not just a fun wrestling match, but this is to conquer your soul. This is a war to the death. John Owen said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. This is a war that you are engaged in. If you like it or not, if you want to realize it or not, if you want to hide your face from it or not, it will either end in your, the death of your soul or the death of your lusts. But one of them will die. And the question is, which one will it be for us? Paul could say, but thanks be to God who gives the victory through Jesus Christ. But then there's also a fighting, there's also a war, a battle to, to have that victory. Because if we're not fighting, if we're not killing sin, that means sin is killing us. And then we do not have the victory. And so part of our sanctification is overcoming sin. Part of the strength that God gives us to overcome sin and to cleanse us from it. So when we're confronted with these sins, and when we fight this warfare day by day, we begin to see where we, where we rest, where, we, where our hope rest and faith rests in. Because a child of God will be taught to flee to the Lord Jesus Christ and to rest in His strength and to pray for His Holy Spirit for that, for that victory in that battle. And part of the motivation also is the fear of the power of the enemy, knowing that we have no strength ourselves against it. We learn that we have no power to overcome our own sin, and we need the grace of God to overcome. Just like a child who feels insecure when they're moving places, that they don't feel that they're at home, they, they stick close to their parents, and so also Christians learn to stick close to God because they don't feel at home here. They need to stick close to God. And so Galatians 5 says, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. And even though a believer can't lose their salvation, they can certainly neglect the Spirit or grieve the Spirit if you indulge in these fleshly lusts. You can have grievous consequences. Grieving the Spirit by your sins, Ephesians 4.30 says, or quenching His influence in your life can lead to His withdrawing His grace and His help. And the loss of the active presence of the Holy Spirit can lead to a loss of your assurance of salvation. You can lose the active power and influence of the Spirit to keep you from falling into sin. You see how how God withdrew Himself from Hezekiah and He fell into the sin of pride. Without the Holy Spirit, we can be sure that we cannot stand against a single sin. That lust flows out of our hearts. David also, he felt that pain when he sinned in adultery and murder and he had to pray in, in Psalm 51, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And so Peter here calls us to abstain from fleshly lusts and not to grieve the Spirit of God. But even worse than that, we can think of the loss of the Spirit's work 
or influence in the lives of unbelievers. If we're not saved, then it's by God's grace that He has not let us go entirely, even with His common grace. God works with His Spirit to restrain sin in, in the nation and in the world and in our own lives. He, he holds us with common grace to restrain us. But Romans 2 shows how if, the God, if God gives us over to ourselves, He gives a nation over to themselves, to their own fleshly lust, and there, then there is no more restraint. There's just a blindly going on deeper and deeper in immorality and sin. And we see that in the sins of homosexuality and the perversion that's so prevalent in our day today. They're always pursuing the next lust because that's where they're looking for the gratification, deeper and deeper into chaos and looking for satisfaction that they never find, looking for it outside of God. But Peter calls the people of God here to abstain from those lusts, to fight against them, to flee from them. Because this is a battle in the depths of your soul. And this is a battle that only the citizens of heaven will recognize and understand when you speak to them. And that's why it's also so precious to be able to meet other Christians and to talk about these things heart to heart. Because it's, it's being able to speak with other people that you also encourage and strengthen on this road to fight against them. And so here Peter is calling us to submit ourselves first to the will of God by abstaining from fleshly lusts that war against our soul, to submit to His holy law, to submit to a life of holiness in His sight. Walk in the Spirit, Paul says, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. It's when we abstain from these fleshly lusts that we begin to live an honorable conduct, honorable life, which then verse 12 goes on to say is used by God to glorify Him in the day of visitation, even by those around us. And that's what we hope to consider next time as we run out of time for this week. I'll leave it there. Amen.